Episode 11. Chief End, episode 11. Uh, I'm standing up today because I gave a quick uh, scattered listen to episode 10. And sitting down, I sounded like a, I don't know, like an Eddie Vedder on downers or something. Not that I know what Eddie Vedder on downers sounds like, but I imagine it sounds something like me sitting and trying to podcast. Uh, updates. Let's see. Updates, updates. Um, this is episode 10, right? Yeah. So, uh, updates. I, I posted a handful, a handful of blog posts from way back in the day, like I'm talking 2010, um, and 2011 and, uh, 2014, it looks like, uh, over from my personal blog, which I'm trying to, when you when you have varied interests, as I do, it's sometimes hard to put them all in the right uh, buckets. So, um, chiefend.org is becoming the theology bucket for my life. <laughs> so anyway, there I don't know what did I post one, maybe six, one, two, three, four, five, maybe six or seven blog blog posts. Uh, from several years ago um, in relations to uh, the gospel, pastorpreneurs, different things. So you're welcome to go read those and uh, digest them as you see fit. Today, uh, we're going to do um, something... Well, first off, we're not going to stop this thing because I don't want to splice audio files together. Uh, So we're not going to be doing this, but we're breaking away from the alliteration, and we're actually getting into uh, palindromes. So we're going to start a new trend with the podcast, which may only last one week, which in in that case would not necessarily make it a trend. Uh, But we are getting into palindromes. And in order to remember this particular palindrome, I uh, just acronymed it. So... (laughs) We've got all kinds of things, alliteration, uh, palindromes, and acronyms going on here at chiefend.org. The acronym is PA, uh, what was it? Oh, I got it backwards. It's GAP. Starts with GAP. G-A-P is the front end of the podcast. G-A-P. So if if we're palindroming it, you can guess what the tail end of it will be, and it would be the opposite. So PAG. P-A-G. So we're going to start with G-A-P, and then we're going to move into P-A-G. Uh, gap PAG. <laughs> Which reminds me, I'll, I'll leave you guessing, just like I guessed last week on uh, what uh, T-W stood for, which was the word, and it was T-W-D, the word daily, I think. Uh, just as I guessed what those acronyms stood for, I'll, I'll give you a few moments to guess what gap PAG uh, might, um, might stand for. And I wish like I was like live tweeting this or something or live doing something because then I could have like callers or emailers, you know, Hey, Hey, send me what you think gap PAG stands for. That would be funny. I would like to see what people thought gap PAG stood for. Um, but before we get into gap PAG, what was I going to get into? Gap PAG. Darn you gap PAG. Uh, hmm. Well, let me search here. I'm going to see. We had a question come in, so I'm actually going to search the uh, questions, pull that question up um, for later. So here we go. Before we get into Gatpag, what was I doing before I got into Gatpag? Um, darn. It was important, but obviously not that important. Um... Housekeeping items. Oh yeah, the blog. Okay, so there's there's posts you can go look at. Um, anyway, we got a palindrome going, and it's gap peg. Uh, and the first part, we're actually gonna spend. Uh, yeah, the first part is GAP. Oh, that's what it was. Gap. It was the funny story about how when I was interning at the mega church, I went in to the Gap to buy a sweater because it was cold winter was upon us and I needed a sweater. So, uh, this internship that I did was for a summer, short-term summer missions trip ministry. And one of the things that 
the fearless leader recruited and convinced me to do was to shave my head bald as a billiard ball. Um, and then he recruited a artist, a artist, an artist from the youth group to draw the globe on my head. <laughs> and if any of you uh, that are listening to this remember those days of me, you will remember the floating head uh, which appeared on the cover, I think it was the 1990, it must have been the 1998 uh, Summer Mission Trips pamphlet, which was kind of like a mini magazine. Uh, it wasn't like a lame flyer. I mean, they spent some money on these things. They hired a graphic designer. It was like all teen mania out. So anyway, there's me uh, floating head and all um, with a mascarid uh, eyeliner pen globe drawn onto my my uh, very shiny dome. Um, anyway, so took the photo shoot uh, and then winter came and I wanted a sweater. So I went into the Gap to buy a sweater. And as I was in the Gap, the manager came up to me and said, quote, verbatim. She didn't say verbatim, but I'm quoting her verbatim. She said, quote, dang, you could be a Gap model, end quote. Um, and I laughed and she was like, no, I'm serious. You're like six, seven and you weigh like 140 pounds and you have a bald head. Like you could, you could uh, be a gap model here. I'm going to give you an application. Uh, and I was like, no, that's all right. I'm following the Lord God almighty. I don't need to uh, get involved with cocaine and runways. Uh, although she probably thought I was on cocaine because I either looked like I was strung out on cocaine or had AIDS, one of the two. Um, in fact, my sister at the time, when I shaved my head, she said that I looked like Daddy Warbucks that had survived a concentration camp, um, if that gives you an idea of how uh, skinny I was in my youthful six foot seven, 18 year old body. Uh, anyway, so that was my Gap story. Um, so I remembered this the last two days as I was putting this together. Gap, um, I started assembling Gap in my head over the weekend. And then uh, as I've been reading through first and second Samuel the last week and a half or two, uh, the PAG uh, was the flip side of that. Um, so GAP. And GAP stands for, drum roll, ding, uh, gospel as product is what GAP stands for. And I want to talk for a few moments about this whole idea of gospel as product. Now, if I told you that I created and sold software and that that was my product and you could go to this website or that website and for X number of dollars, you could buy that product and gave you a pitch of why you should buy that product. If you are this in this type of business and you need this type of feature set for your website, then you should go to this uh, website and buy um, the my product, my software product. And I hear the trash man outside and I forgot to put the trash can out. So we're just going to have to let that ride um, until, until Friday. Uh, shame on me for hitting ignore on the to-do list reminder that popped up on my phone this morning. Um, that would be a good example why not to procrastinate. When you get, when you set reminders on your phone, you should act on them, not hit ignore because you will forget about them just like I did. Um, so like a good Microsoft programmer, I'm going to let that exception ride. I'm not going to capture it. It's just going to sit there and accumulate trash for the next three days. Anyway, gospel is product. Back to the, uh, back to the episode after that, uh, short Tampa, um, oh wait, where am I? I'm in Florida somewhere. Um, after that short, uh, announcement for the sanitation services of my local municipality, um, Gospel is product. So if I'm in the business world like I am and I have software to sell you and I make a pitch to you about why you should buy the software, um, I, I create a, a customer profile and then I create a feature list for that product and then I make the, I make the pitch. I make the case of trying to close the sale. Hey, if you fit these characteristics and you need these features, then buy my product. Okay. I mean, you go, okay, fine. That's business, right? I mean, that's every commercial you see for the most part. A car commercial comes on. Hey, are, you know, are you a family? 
Do you need a minivan? Do you want seats that collapse into the floor so that on weekends you can throw a surfboard in or soccer gear or whatever? Then buy the Dodge or the Chrysler with a stow and go seating. I mean, we're, we're very accustomed to that. Um, we're accustomed to that with cars, with clothes, with beer, with vacations, with pretty much every product under the sun that you can buy. Uh, that we see advertised on TV or hear on the radio or even in social media. Which, quick side note, why is every sponsored story on Instagram some dude with his face way too close to his camera or some girl with their face way too close at their camera walking at a fast pace down some street or in their fancy house with their pool and beach scene behind them like yelling at me to swipe up? Like, just stop. 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 Stop being purveyors of fake success. Um, I think it was Tony Robbins who actually, uh, like back in the day, rented those mansions. Like he had a realtor friend and he'd be like, yo, I need to film an infomercial in this $15 million house. Can I have it for 90 minutes? And the real estate agent was like, yeah, sure. Just, you know, peel me off a thousand bucks and you can do that. Um, it might not have been Tony Robbins, but it was one of those guys. Fake. I say fake. Anyway, yeah, I don't need any more sponsored stories of some charlatan with their face way too close to their camera phone yelling at me to swipe up. Go away. Uh, and, and, and that's another side note. I actually tweeted it on my personal account that Instagram is being ruined. The platform is being ruined by all of their sponsored posts. But that's another story for another day and probably a different bucket. This is This is, of course, the theology bucket after all not the social media business bucket. If you want that, you can find it elsewhere. I will not shamelessly plug it here because this is the theology bucket, which is not for profit. Uh, anyway, so we're all familiar with those pitches. Even if a Tony Robbins pitch, are you tired of being depressed? Do you want to have that $250,000 Mercedes? Do you want a bigger house? Are you tired of taking orders from your boss? Well, then come to my conference and walk over hot coals. And after you recover from third degree burns on the soles of your feet, then you too will know the secrets to conning people out of their hard earned money. Um, so we're familiar with it. We're familiar with it. Okay. Now, if I added to that an addendum, so to speak, <laughs> not too... I wonder what the difference between an addendum and an appendix is. Like, they're the same thing. Maybe an addendum is something attached to a document where an appendix is, other than being something, like, in your lower left side, lower right side of your abdomen. Uh, an appendix is, I think, something at the end of a book. So maybe an addendum is just re relegated for a document, and an appendix is uh, relegated for a book. Now, what... How would you delineate a book from a document? That's probably another discussion that we could have. Uh, and I'm really tempted to go on Google and find out what the difference... Be is this going to waste time? It is. Addendum versus, versus appendix. Hey, it's right there. But it's actually the third one down. The first one was addendum versus... What was it? Addendum versus amendment. Huh. Okay. Denim. An appendix is a section of information, extra information that is useful to the reader. One more thing, an appendix can also mean a small organ connected to large intestine humans. I'm as smart as Google, people. That's pretty awesome. Uh, addendum. An addendum is a section of new material that is added after the first edition or first printing of a book. Okay. So that sort of makes sense. So I guess an append a book could have an appendix. Um, and a book could have an addendum as well. All right, fine. So an addendum is like not part of the first book. It's, it's secondary. So if they did a second printing. Thanks, Google. I was pretty close, uh, which is a case for homeschool. Um, if you homeschool your children, they too can know. They too can know. Uh, what an addendum and an appendix are, at least somewhere in the ballpark. Um, so anyway, so if I if I added an addendum, or if you per prefer an appendix, <laughs> to that pitch, a follow-up, buy my software, 
uh, because you fit the customer profile and because it has these features, therefore buy my product. If I added an extra layer to that pitch, which said, I have spiritual authority from the divine maker of heaven and earth to deliver this message to you. And it is in his authority that I beseech you to adhere to the points that I am making and to essentially buy the sales pitch that I'm making you. I have spiritual divine authority. If I added that on top of my software pitch, you would think I was insane. And there would be a good possibility that that would be an accurate diagnosis. And we have referred to these people in the past as being cult leaders. You think of the Jonestown guy, uh, Kool-Aid drinking, uh, the Hale-Bopp Comet dude. Remember those people where they, oh, we have divine authority that this comet is actually our eternal home. And if we kill ourselves on earth, we'll be transported up to this comet and spend eternity with our celestial whatever beings. Um, psycho, little bit crazy. And if you could see me, if this was a simulcasted podcast on TV, you'd see me drawing a circle around my ear with my index finger going cuckoo, crazy. Um, so we understand that. If we make a pitch of a product and we add a spiritual divine authority on top of it, it's perceived as being nutty. That's the exact same thing, though, that we're doing in all these different veins of American evangelicalism. And it's really, I think, detrimental to... Christians, because each of these veins of uh, American evangelicalism and our lousy, stinking chihuahua is going attack mode outside because I think some solicitor uh, knocked on our door. So if you hear her barking in the background, just, hey, praise God for alarm systems that are organic, I guess. Um but we have all these segments in the in the church, and I've talked about this in the past, where uh, and it's 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 very equivalent to the New Testament where Paul says, Oh, I'm some of you are saying I'm of Apollos, and some of you are saying that I am of Cephas, and some of you are saying that I am of Paul. Um, and you have it with even the apostles, uh, the disciples, when they begin to argue over who's gonna be greater in the kingdom. You have this innate desire in man to carve out followings after themselves. And we, we have this, this proclivity, ooh, that word might, might just be the, the P, the secondary P in the PAG. Uh, we seem to have this, this uh, tendency to carve out all of these little veins. And then, as I've said before, demand and draw people after those particular veins. And we, we tend to demand allegiance to those particular veins. Now, if this was just, this doesn't happen just as it relates to salvation by faith, okay? I mean, it, it's sort of like, I would say that the essential, okay? Salvation by faith, you're a sinner, God is holy, there is wrath that needs to be dispensed on that sin, um, trust in Christ who has paid the price of your sin, to bring you into a friendship and a relationship with God. Like that's not where the delineating factors kind of come into play. And, and I kind of equate it to, to water. You know, if you're trying to pitch water to people that are in the Sahara desert, like it would probably be a huge waste of marketing dollars for Dasani and Aquafina and I don't know what's, what are other waters? Walgreens brand. <laughs> Sam's Club brand, great value. Uh, why can't I think of any other water? Oh, Life Water. Um, I want to say something. What's that one in the glass bottle? Voss. Uh, so it, it would be the hugest waste of, of resources and time and money 
and everything. Just an absolute waste for Dasani and Aquafina and all these water manufacturers to set up product booths in the middle of the Sahara Desert and wait for someone who had been lost or stranded for a week, crawling through the sand, getting bit by scorpions, running away from raiders on camelback. Uh, and he comes to this, you know, you see the picture of this person crawling and they look and there's an oasis with palm trees and water and, you know, uh, tent set up and background noise and glasses clinking and he's like oh I finally am gonna live so he looks up and instead of an oasis he sees an Aquafina product booth a Dasani product booth a Voss product booth and instead of them rushing over to this guy and saying here have some water just hey drink live they're saying no 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 you don't want that Dasani that 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 tastes like tap water that is crap that's coca-cola or pepsi or whichever one it is no 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 you want the aquafina and then voss pops in you don't want either of those you don't want that's for the common man dasani and aquafina are for the common man you need voss and then if you think dasani and aquafina are for the common man poo poo on the great value brand i mean where is that coming from a sewage pipe? I mean, gross. And then you probably have Perrier and their snotty French accent coming in and saying, wee oui, wee, oui, no, no, you need wee oui, wee, oui, yes, yes. Uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> you need neither of those. You need French water from the pristine Alps. Uh, you can see the, the l lunacy, the ludicrousness. Uh, not the rapper, the actual meaning of the word. How ludicrous and insane and stupid and what a waste of resources that would be. Okay? And that's why they don't do it. And so when it comes to that message of, hey, you're, we're dead sinners and we're in need of salvation. How, how silly is it then for us to then carve out, oh no, we need Cephas water. We need Pauline water. No, 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 no. We need, we need Apollos water. No, 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 no. We need Lutheran water. Nope, we need Calvin water. We need Christ for crying out loud. He's the fountain. He's the spring of life. We don't need to carve out all these products, yet we continue to do it in the church. Um, and I think it causes a lot of problems for Christians in processing and digesting their faith. Because what happens when you're sold that water and it has, something goes wrong with it, okay? I'm not saying that something goes wrong with Christ, but you get sold that thing, okay? You buy Aquafina, or you buy Voss, or you buy the Walmart brand, and then something happens. You find out that the, that the distributing plant had a salmonella contamination, or you find out that one of the managers of that company uh, was embezzling money. Um, you found out that they were employing cheap labor somewhere and, and oppressing the poor. I mean, all kinds of things you could find out, okay? And, it, and those would then come back down through the pipeline, so to speak, and taint your perception of that brand and that water. And you'd be going, oh man, why did I pick Aquafina? Because of whatever scandal happened or whatever, uh, you know, the, the, something bad happened farther down the line as you drilled down into that organization. And then you have a bad taste in your mouth for that water because you, you have, you have given your allegiance to the brand and not the water. The water is what keeps you alive, not the label on the bottle. Pastors in America and hold on, I'm actually going to uh, open up my Walgreens brand. <laughs> it's all reverse osmosis, people. If water runs through a reverse osmosis filter, it's going to come out the end the exact same way. Doesn't matter what labels put on it. So, yeah, I, I get the Walgreens brand because it's cheaper and it's the exact same reverse osmosis. I feel like I've talked about reverse osmosis in a previous podcast. I don't know if it was this one or my business one. And I, uh, they all blend together. The buckets sometimes mix. Um, as you saw a few minutes ago when I was ranting about Tony Robbins and third degree burns on the bottom of people's feet. Which feet? Foots? Feet? 
Uh, which, if you haven't read that story, you should read Tony Robbins' uh, Hot Coal Burns. Pretty funny story. Um, and it just is a insightful, gives some insight into how dumb humans can be. Uh, but that's another point. So, pastors are experts at this. Pastors, since the beginning of time, the beginning of time, uh, have been exceptionally good at this. Um, as I mentioned, you see it with, uh, the disciples arguing over who's going to be greater. You see it with Paul talking about, uh, how people are, are already carving out followings after Cephas and Apollos and Paul. Um, one of the stories that I want to look at, though, is in Acts. So if you do have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Acts. And we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. Um, and I think this is probably the first pastorpreneur um, in Acts chapter 8. Um and I wish, I wish I was in front of people because when I, I love when people say and turn to the Bible and you hear all that page rustling. Just a fun sound. Uh, anyway, Acts chapter 8. Saul ravages the church. Not that part. Um, Philip, starting in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. I trust that your Bibles are open or that your Bible app is at least activated. Uh, close down that fortnight, friends. Close it down. Um, and again, if you're playing Clash of Clans, really, really come out of the stinking uh, basement that you're in. Uh, people who are playing Clash of Clans are like Saddam Hussein, I think, in that bunker when they found him after like 90 days disheveled and like feeding on rat carcasses. Um, Acts 8 verse 4, Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria. So Philip's going around. Um, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Not a bad thing to proclaim. On point. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. So, he's preaching Christ. The crowds are paying attention. Now, skip down to verse 9. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously, past tense, practiced magic in the city and amazed, past tense, the people of Samaria, Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Okay, remember that great? That could probably be a G, but it's not in my gap pag. <laughs> We're still on the gospel as product. Um, Saying that he himself was somebody great. Do you see how I'm saying this is the first pastorpreneur? Uh, they all paid attention to him. Contrast that earlier with Philip and the people paying attention to him. From the least to the greatest saying, quote, this man is the power of God that is called great. So we have attention. We have power or at least perceived power. We have greatness being mentioned multiple times. And they paid attention to him. Again, this whole concept of paying attention to people. Um, because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. So we have, we have attention being paid. We have perceived great power. We have amazement among the people. And you can see what's going on here. Jealousy. He's bent that Philip is now the centerpiece. Okay, he's bent about that. He previously had people paying attention. He previously practiced magic. He previously had people say that he himself was somebody great. So, Philip preaches the gospel. Simon, it says, um, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And I think that even's important. I think it shows um, the he's he's holding on by the hair of his chinny chin chin. I think even Simon himself believed, and after being or or it could be a comment on how powerful uh, the gospel actually is that you have this man who who wowed people with his magic and was perceived as being great, and he obviously thinks a lot of himself. 
and even Simon believes. So either it's that he's holding on by the hair of his chinny chin chin, or that even denotes how powerful God's gospel actually is, that he can take such a self-deluded important man and save him. Um, probably a little bit of both, perhaps. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So if we hop back up to verse 7, the miracles and things that were happening because of Christ being preached at the time, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And you stop and think about that. Hey, you know, you see some guy on the ground that can't walk and then bam, he's he's up and walking. You'd be pretty jaw-dropping yourself. Um, so. Now we get to this, uh, this is gospel as product here, okay? And it's going, to, it's going to transition us into the PAG, which is our proclivity to assume greatness. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Gospel is product. Bam. I think since the beginning of time, man, at least since Acts 8, man has been wired to try to turn the gospel into product. We see a supernatural, mysterious move of God, and we want to capture it. We want to package it. We want to throw it into the industrial revolution and spit it out on a conveyor belt in pre-packaged nuggets of resaleable truth. And it is disgusting. This is what Christian conferences are. This is what the Christian book industry is. This is what any for sale resource is. It is essentially pastors duplicating what Simon the Magician did. They see some miraculous, powerful move of God in the lives and in the hearts of men and women, and they want to buy it, they want to package it, and they want to private label it, and then spit it back out the other side for a markup. That is what's going on here with Simon. That is what has infiltrated the American church to the nth degree, and it is a miracle to me that God hasn't just rubbed his thumb and squished the whole thing out. It's deplorable. And I think Peter's response to Simon captures how deplorable it is. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. I want to like, I, I want to, I need to like get loud on this point, but I don't want to uh, appear. No, I, deep breath. May your silver perish with you. How awesome would it be if a pastorpreneur, you know, these conferences where they make, you know, 149 bucks a ticket, two, $249 a ticket, $199 a ticket, and they, they hold 30, 40, 50,000 people. And people go, oh, well, it requires cost because you have to lease the building and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay, it does, yeah. But how awesome would it be if one of those goons, Louis Giglio perhaps, got up and said, hey, here's, here's my speaker stipend check, conference attendees. It's 10,000 bucks, it's $50,000, it's $25,000, whatever it runs the gamut of these days. And he just tore it in half. He said, I don't need this. We're not turning the house of God into money changers. We're not turning this into a bank. But no, no, they're, they're all, they, they have Simon the Magician lurking. And, and sadly, no one in the community seems to have the courage of Peter to say, may your silver perish with you. Because they got their hands in the coffers as well. 
And here I go again, getting fatalistic and uh, very, <laughs> very dark on this stupid, lousy, dang, God blessed podcast. Um, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Harkens back to Isaiah. Come, buy bread without money. Feast without cost. Ding, ding, ding. Reminder. Remember, remember back to the future when, when uh, Biff would go, knock, knock, knock. Hey, McFly. Hello. Anybody home? Um, that's what I feel like people need to do to all these past entrepreneurs. Hey, knucklehead, moron. Don't you know that the gospel's free? Don't you know that the picture of salvation is equivalent to stranded, lost people in the Sahara desert dying of thirst and you having water to give them? And yet here you are in your skinny jeans and your pomp and your revenue and your your just display of how cool you are trying to convince people to buy your brand of water over the next guys. Shame on you. So that's, that's gospel as product. And I could probably, wow, 35 minutes is gospel as product. There's probably more in the coffers there. Um, but I mean, how, how many times can I say shame on you for profiteering on the gospel? Um, I could, I mean a lot, I could say it a lot, but it doesn't really do much, doesn't get us anywhere. That's my point. Gospel as product, Simon the Magician. Simon the Magician did it, and people have been in the business of doing it pretty much ever since. Indulgences, anyone? Oh, shorten your time in purgatory. Uh, shorten the time. Uh, speed up. Speed up the process for how you can get to God. Just give us money. Pay a Buy an indulgence. Give money to La Iglesia, Spanish for church, for those of you who are not uh, bilingual like myself. <laughs> so, gospel as product is a very, very uh, sad blight in the heart of man. Um, and, and I think when you view it in terms of people dying of thirst in the desert, and you visualize different water manufacturers uh, trying to sell their particular brand to someone who just wants a drink. Like literally you would drink and not to be gross, but I've seen it on Bear Grylls. You would literally drink a muddy cesspool of elephant urine mixed in with some rainwater and some, some sort of grubs if you were dying of thirst. Like you wouldn't care if it was Aquafina. You'd just be like liquid, give it to me. I might die of Ebola later. I might die of fecal poisoning later. I don't care. I need some moisture. Um, I think we've lost that desperate thing. Um, because, again, I've said, I don't think pastors, perhaps I speculate that pastors have, they've never felt that desperation. Um, or they've felt it at one point and they've forgotten about it because of how comfortable their lifestyles have become. But if you haven't felt that desperation, of course you're going to be Simon the Magician. Ooh, how, how can I buy this and make myself great? Um, so that, that I think gospel is product plays very, very closely. It's very, very attached to the, the uh, palindrome-ness of this podcast, of the second one, the PAG being our proclivity to assume greatness. And you see that in Acts 8 with... The, the repeated mention of great and the people perceived Simon as being great and he perceived himself as being great. And he, you can, you can deduce that he wants to buy the power of the Holy Spirit so that people can either, man, I got like the morning Americano hiccup burps so that he can then either have the people once again, view him as being great because he feels like Philip has kind of shoved him out the door or he thinks he can be perceived as being even greater than he once was. Um, so I, I think it's not, um, pastorpreneurs I think are the, the most obvious examples to pick on because that's what they do. You know, it's, it's buy my book, buy my conference ticket, do this, do that, and you will grow close, closer to God through committing yourself to my particular brand of water. Um, just an asinine construct to begin with. But even though they're the easiest targets because they're the most visible ones, I, I believe with all my heart that this 
Simon tendency lurks in all of our hearts. It lurks in mankind. It's part of the fall. It's part of rebelling against God. It's part of wanting to not trust God and trust ourselves. It's part of wanting to fear man and not God. It's just part of who we are in a fallen, sinful world. Thank you, Adam. No, not really. Um, so, back to First and Second Samuel. Um, and this proclivity to assume greatness, I'm going to now try to apply uh, to how we read the Bible as individual Christians. And I'm just going to, some verses that I've underlined and wrote some comments to. Um, so you have, you have these promises that God makes to David. Um, so 2 Samuel uh, 7.1, the Lord had given him rest. And 2 Samuel 7.11, oh, look at that, convenience store. Abu, which I guess is now culturally insensitive, uh, I will give you rest from all your enemies, declares the Lord. Um, David prays, may it please you, he's praying to God, may it please you to bless the house of your servant. 2 Samuel 8 verse 14 says, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Um, and it goes on and on. Uh, if we go back to 2 Samuel 5.10, And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. So just like Simon, we read biblical accounts of God making characters like David greater and greater. We read biblical accounts of God um making, I, I will give you rest from all of your enemies. And we instantly assume greatness, our proclivity to assume greatness for ourselves. We inject ourselves into David's shoes. And so then we pray, Lord, make me greater and greater. Lord, would you triumph over all of my enemies and make, give me rest from all of my enemies. And I, I think what I'm trying to get at is when we read the scripture and we read passages like 2 Samuel 5.10, that the David became greater and greater, we inject ourselves, we visualize ourselves being David, Okay. The point that I want to try to get across to fight against our proclivity to always assume greatness is by paying attention to characters in the scripture who it didn't go all that well for. Like if we read about Ananias and Sapphira back in Acts and how they lied and they were struck dead because they lied. When we read that, our mind doesn't insert us into being Ananias and Sapphira. Our mind inserts, inserts us into being either Peter, who was there proclaiming judgment upon them, or one of Peter's cronies watching them die. We go, ooh, yikes, that's a reminder not to lie. We never insert ourselves into being the actual recipient of bad things in the scripture. And, and just to demonstrate that, I'll read this passage, and I guarantee you, guarantee you, if I was a betting man, I'd wager everything I had, that just a few verses after, and, and David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Just a few verses later, we read that David had sons. And the names of these who were born to him in Jerusalem, colon, and then it lists off names, Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphelet. I guarantee you that no Christian ever has said, Oh, Lord, make me a Shamua. Make me an Eliphelet. Why? Because there's nothing said about them. There's nothing attached to them. 
And I left out a name in there that's mentioned because if I read it, we would go, oh yeah, well actually we've said that. And it's Solomon. Solomon is listed in there. Um, I don't think it's, I, I, I don't think it's the same Solomon because he comes later via Bathsheba. Maybe it is the same. I'm not too sure on my, I haven't looked at my uh, very convoluted, very confusing Old Testament timeline chart recently. <laughs> so I'm not sure if this is the same Solomon. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, probably is, but could not be as well. Um, but we've never said, make me a Shamua. Okay. And you go, okay, well, those are just totally obsolete references. Like, of course, no one's ever going to say that because they don't even know who those people are. Granted, I'll give you that. So let's fast forward a couple verses after I take another drink of my uh, Walgreens water, which I would take any day over elephant urine. Um, we're going to hop ahead. Second Samuel 11. Uh, yep. Here's where we're going. If you have, if you're not familiar with second Samuel 11, you are, you might just, you just might not know the reference exactly, but it's David and Bathsheba, the age old story up to second Samuel 10. God has done some really amazing things for David. Although it's kind of disturbing too. Like, I mean, just lots of death. 40,000 Syrians killed. I mean, I understand when, when secular non-Christian professors go, dude, what's up with the Old Testament? What's up with the Bible? You preach, it preaches love and grace and mercy. And then you read the Old Testament and it's like just bloodshed and absolute carnage. Um, that's something that Christians should think about and try to address head on instead of skirt skirting it. A little Migos reverence. Yep. Yep. Um, I love, I love Migos. I might go back and delete that. Um, so David and Bathsheba, the whole thing. So up to, up to second Samuel 10, tons of blessing, tons of good things happening. And then what do we find? Oh, when David should have been in battle, he was lounging on his couch and late one afternoon, probably after a day of binge watching Netflix and eating Takis, uh, he arose from his couch, probably on a carb coma strolled around the, the roof of the king's house and he saw Bathsheba naked bathing and she was very beautiful. I mean, if he had beer goggles on, she was probably even more beautiful than if he had not had his carb coma beer goggles on, besides the point. What I want to get down to is this chap <laughs> named Uriah. We never insert ourselves into being Uriah. Our proclivity to greatness only injects us into the scene when good things happen. It only injects us into the scene when blessing is being bestowed. But let's look at this character named Uriah. He was obviously a very brave man, very good soldier, and you know the story, if you've been a Christian for any length of time. Uriah was Bathsheba's wife. Bathsheba became pregnant as a result of David's carb coma beer goggles. I, I, it doesn't say he's drunk, so maybe it wasn't beer goggles. Because of his choice to appease the Arminians. He chose to not just... If he, if he just would have walked away from looking at her nakedness on the rooftop, everything would have been fine. But no, he had to go and inquire of the house and then they got their skronk on and next thing you know, she's prego. Okay, bun in the oven, cooking away. And David panics, as most men do when they find out that their significant other is prego. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Well, sometimes we do. I, I panicked on number four. No, one through three, I was fine. Number four, a little panicky, but it's all good. Turned out perfect. Um, so what does he do? He says, I got to cover my tracks. So he goes and he sends word to the front lines. Hey, send Uriah home so he can get his freak on with Bathsheba and then it will look like it's his kid. But what do we find out about Uriah? Not only is he a brave warrior, he's an upstanding individual. David says, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Because Uriah spent the night sleeping on the porch out front. Uriah said to David, the ark, obviously a concern for God, the ark, and Israel, and Judah, 
So he's got a concern for the presence of God, the people of God. They dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Boom, Uriah is an upstanding individual with character. He's doing the right thing before God. And pastorpreneurs would want us to believe that there is some massive blessing at the end of that. This will result in greatness for Uriah. He will be given the kingdom. No, instead he's given the shiv. David sends word. Tries to get him to sleep with her again. Doesn't happen. Sends word out to his commander. Hey, send Uriah to the most the front lines where the fighting is the most severe and then withdraw from him. And let this valiant, courageous, upstanding man with character be abandoned by the people that he cares about and die a very violent... When I say violent, it's not like he took a headshot, okay? It says the archers lobbed arrows at him and he was wounded. He died a very violent, painful, assumedly somewhat... I'll just say this. It was slower than a headshot. Unless a sword lopped his dome off, which it doesn't say. Getting shot with arrows and knifed with old rusty swords. Or maybe they weren't rusty. Whatever. Getting a piece of metal jammed into you, wherever it got jammed into him. And dying on the front line after probably becoming self-aware of the fact that all of his homies ditched his sorry butt. Like, we don't read the scripture like this. We read, we inject ourselves into David's place and we replace David with ourselves when it says that God made him greater and greater. We read Uriah from the sidelines. And I think that demonstrates our proclivity to assume greatness. And the whole point of this podcast is to promote the idea that we're supposed to be humble. I think one of the best, most effective ways to foster humility in your life is to begin to read yourself into the stories like Uriah. Read yourself into the story of Joseph mid-Genesis. Try to forget the fact that ultimately God pulls him out. Read yourself into Simon. Put yourself as Simon. You see, the gospel is product is so tempting because it has been proven to, it's like the counterpoint. They work hand in hand. So if someone carves out gospel as product, it fosters people's proclivity for their own greatness, which draws those people after the leader. And then it just becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. If we want to increase humility in our lives, if we want to increase humility in the church in America, we have to stop reading ourselves into only the triumphant stories. We need to read ourselves as Paul in the last moments in the Roman prison before the axe met his neck. We need to read ourselves not just with Peter, oh, hey, look, I'm walking on water with Jesus because I had audacious faith. Ha ha, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to do a conference. No, we need to read ourselves into the last moments of Peter saying, I'm unworthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. I know that's not in the scripture. I know that's Christian tradition. We need to read ourselves into Thomas. Not observing him with judgment, saying, stinking Thomas. Oh, whoa, you a little faith there, pal. 
No, we need, we, we need to read Thomas and we need to put ourselves there and say, that's me. This whole baloney of somebody dying and then rising from the dead three days later, God becoming man, that's baloney. And I'm not going to believe it unless I can touch it and see it and feel it. We're so inclined to just, and I think this is, um, I'm going to actually Google this word before I throw out a word that is going to be completely inappropriate and then have to backpedal and wheel out the podium with some sort of insincere apology of why I didn't mean what I actually said because I was too stupid and I was not, um, yes, okay, here we go, yep, yep, it is, that's what I thought it was. We need to read ourselves and view ourselves as, brace yourself, it's going to sound weird, cuckold. <laughs> big, big in Puritan writings, okay? This word was a lot more popular back in the day. Cuckold, C-U-C-K, rhymes with a bad word, yes. Old, O-L-D, cuckold. Keckled? Keckled. Actually, it looks like it's pronounced keckled, not cu-uh, it's keckled. Definition, the husband of an adulteress. We treat God as a cuckold. We are a keckled. We are adulterous in our hearts. And we need to recognize that when we read instances in scripture where it's not the rosy, heroic ending of God making David greater and greater. Where it's the, the really sad, perplexing, confusing example of a dude like Uriah who did the right thing, who apparently loved his God, loved God's people, was literally sacrificing comforts in this world for the benefit of God, God's people. And he met a betrayed sad, confusing end. We need to read ourselves into Peter denying Christ. You get the point. So when you read through the scripture, you have to be aware of your heart's proclivity to assume greatness for yourself. And I would encourage you to try to develop an eye that reads scripture that sees all the other players in the Bible, all these other people, many of whom it's never said that God made them greater and greater. And I think that's going to help foster humility. So we've got to turn off the, the, the gospel as product spigot. We've got to get out of that loop. And one of the ways that we're going to get out of that loop is by ceasing to always be so bent on assuming our own greatness as we read the Bible. Most of us, we have a much better chance of ending up like Uriah, doing the right thing and not seeing any earthly reward from it, than we do David prior to 2 Samuel 11 being made greater and greater because God was with him. Um, so there's much more to extrapolate there because obviously it turns a lot of this language of Christ giving us victory and the Lord giving David victory wherever he went. All of these things, it takes it out of the vein of material blessing and, and human fame and material popularity and, and earthly comforts. And it puts it into the realm of our heart's affections. And that's a topic for a whole nother podcast. The, the certainty that yes, God will make you greater and greater in a heart sense. He will triumph over the enemies of your heart in an increasing fashion as he continues to sanctify you on the way to heaven. But it just moves all of those promises of blessing and greatness from the materialistic temporal realm and it puts them into the vein of heart affections and soul affections and ultimately eternity. So, Keep that in mind because I'm sure we will uh, venture down that path at one point. Uh, last thing I'll say, because this thing is getting long in the tooth. It's 59 minutes. These things get longer and longer. I apologize. Um, I think this is the, um, this is this phrase that Joab, 
Joab, Joab, Joab utters in 2 Samuel 10. It says, be of good courage. He, they're surrounded. The Syrians have them on the, the front and the Amorites are around them on the back. So he comes and says, hey, here's the deal. If the Amorites are too strong for you, then I'll come and help you. And if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you'll come and help me, blah, blah, blah. But this is the phrase he says. He says, be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And here's, here's the phrase that I want you to remember. And may, this is the heart posture we need for humility. And may the Lord do what seems good to him goes back to whichever episode previously I talked about how we need mystery. We need to allow for mystery with the sovereignty of God. That gets to that. This is a humble posture. And we let's be courageous ourselves, but may the Lord do what seems good to him. Joab there, in my estimation and reading of that scripture, seems to understand that his end may very well be Uriah's end, even though Uriah happened later. His, he realizes that. Let the Lord do what seems good to him. So we've got to break this gospel as product cycle in the church. We have got to stop assuming greatness for ourselves in all these biblical stories that we read. Um, and man, this is going longer, but I've got to get to this. It's the, the this would all get summarized, okay? Simon the Magician, God making David greater. This all gets summarized in that D.L. Moody quote. And I actually think I wrote, go to Chief End and read about this. I wrote about this uh, several years ago, I think. Did I, is it, did I post that? I can't remember. So many thoughts jumbled up. <laughs> I can't keep track. Um, oh, come on. I, I had to have posted this. Mini, mini messiahs. Um, yes, go read, go, go to chiefend.org and read the post mini messiahs from March 21, 2011. Long time ago. It's the D.L. Moody quote. The world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Although if you study your history, uh, that quote might have actually originated from a guy named Henry Varley, which I state in the blog. Um, but it's, it's often uh, associated with Moody. Um, and I remember hearing that as a teenager in the multi-denomin, uh, the, the, not multi-site, the non-denominational megachurch. And instantly I was Simon. My heart went, I want to be that guy. I'm going to be that guy. I don't care what it takes. I don't care who I have to step on. I don't care which intern I need to shiv in order to get in front of the senior pastor so I can get that job. The world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in and by the man who was fully and wholly consecrated to him. D.L. Moody, you did a lot of good stuff for the kingdom apparently, but you are dead, stinking, wrong. We have seen that man and his name is Jesus Cristo, home slice. This is the biggest miss appropriation of the most vital concept in Christianity in America that's been going on for centuries. We want to be many messiahs. We want to erect many messiahs. We want to follow many messiahs. We want to become many messiahs. And I get the sentiment, hey, hey, commit yourself to the Lord. Consecrate yourself to the Lord. Yeah, I get that. I get the sentiment. But deal moody. When you phrase it like that, you are ignoring the only one who met all of the requirements of your dumb statement. Jesus! The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. That's Jesus Christ. We've seen what he can do. We've seen him in the flesh. Why aren't we believing on him? Because it's easier to spin gospel as product, to profit from that. And it's easier to go along with the natural fallen bent of our heart to assume greatness in everything that we read because we're the center of everything. As long as we persist in gap pag... <laughs> 
oh, I'm cramping. I did this stinking court workout last night and my ribs are cramping, my upper ribs, like under my armpit ribs are cramping. Curse you, core. As long as we persist in gap pag, we're cutting off humility. That went a little preachy, but I think it was needed. At least I needed it to get off my chest. I don't know about anybody else, but uh, we've got to cut out gap pag because it's, it's, it is cutting our eyes off from seeing Christ as being the man Moody wishes someone would pick up the, the ball and run with. And how many people over the last 150 years since they've heard Moody or Henry Varley say that have gone, that's going to be me. Again, I get the sentiment. I get the wanting to be consecrated to the Lord. I get wanting to be devoted to him and have your allegiance be to him. I get all that. And, and on a lot of levels, that's what I'm saying earlier is in previous episodes is, yes, we need the allegiance to the Lord. But if our allegiance to the Lord if we stop there and we don't see that, yes, the world has already seen this man and that man is the God-man, Jesus Christ, we have completely missed the point. And all we're going to do is continue this very sad, destructive, depressing cycle of gap peg. That's the palindrome. I'm at an hour and five minutes, which is the longest I've ever talked about anything. Uh, maybe other, no, probably the longest I've ever talked about anything. So have a good day. Um, I uh, Questions. Yeah, we'll get to those later. Um, send questions to podcast at chiefend.org. I promise we will get to them next time. Stop gap pagging. Late.